Today's podcast brought to you by Jolt. Make progress. Not excuses. Dream big. Get massive results. Wherever there is a need, there is a fortune. And so she made up her mind to do it. And she invented this snap button, the two-piece button that snaps together and that first appeared as a glove button. That woman can now go to Europe in her own yacht and take her husband with her. And if he were dead, she would have enough money left to buy a foreign count or duke or some such thing. What is my lesson in it? I said to her what I say to you. Your fortune is too near to you, so near that you are looking over it. She had to look over it. It was right under her chin, and it is just as truly near to you. In East Brookfield, Massachusetts, there was a shoemaker out of work. His wife drove him out of doors with the broomstick because she wanted to sweep around the stove. He went out and sat down on the ash barrel in the backyard. Close by that ash barrel ran a little mountain stream. I have sometimes wondered if, as he sat there on that ash barrel, he thought of Tennyson's beautiful poem, Chatter, chatter, as I flow, to join the brimming river. Men may come and men may go, but I go on forever. I don't believe he thought of it, because it was not a poetical situation on an ash barrel in the backyard. But as he sat on that ash barrel, he looked down into the stream, and he saw a trout go flashing up the stream and hide under the bank. He leaped down and caught the fish in his hands and took it into the house. His wife sent it to a friend in Worcester. The friend wrote back that they would give five dollars for another such trout, and the man and his wife started out to find one. They went up and down stream, but there was not another trout to be found. Then they went to the preacher, a preacher who was true to his profession. He pointed the way. He said, Secure Seth Green's book on the culture of trout, and it will give you the information you need. They got the book and found that if they started with a pair of trout, a trout would lay 3,600 eggs every year, and that every trout would grow an ounce the first year, and a quarter of a pound every succeeding year, so that in four years a man could secure from two trout four tons of trout per annum to sell. They said, oh, we don't believe such a great story as that, but if we could raise a few and sell them for a dollar apiece, we might make money. So they procured two little trout and put them in the stream, with a coal sifter down the stream and a window screen upstream to keep the trout in. Afterwards, they moved to the banks of the Connecticut River, and afterwards to the Hudson, and one of them has been on the United States Fish Commission, and he has held other high offices. But he sat that day on that ash barrel in the backyard, right by his acres of diamonds. He didn't see them. They were too close to him. It may be that you too will not find your wealth until your wife or some other friendly good fortune opens your eyes. But nevertheless, your wealth is there, awaiting awaiting, awaiting you. The people, though, who make the greatest mistakes are the farmers. When I could not keep my father's store, he sent me out on the farm, knowing that as the ground was nearly all rock, I could not do much harm there. I know by experience that a very ordinary man can be a lawyer. I know also that it doesn't take a man with a gigantic intellect to be a preacher. It takes brains, though, to be a successful farmer today. The farmer will be more successful when he gives more attention to what people want and not so much to what will grow. 
Now the great aim of most of our farmers is in seeing what will grow. I was going through Iowa a while ago, and seeing the wheat decaying in the mud, I said to a farmer, Why is it that all this grain here is decaying? Oh, he said, it is the awful monopoly of the railroads. He didn't use the word awful, but he used a word that he thought was more emphatic. I got into the train, and I sympathized with the poor downtrodden farmer. The conductor came along, and I asked him, How much of a dividend does this railroad pay on its stock? Dividend? Why, it hasn't paid a dividend in nine years, and it's been in the hands of the receiver most of that time. Then I changed my mind. If that farmer with others had raised what the people wanted, not only would he have more money, but the railroad would have paid dividends on its stock. I was at Evansville, Indiana later, and a man drove up in a big car and told me, Eighteen years ago I borrowed two hundred dollars, and I went into farming. I began the first year to raise wheat, rye, and hogs. But the second year I decided to raise what the people wanted, so I plowed the ground over and put in small fruits. Now I own this farm and a great deal more. They told me at the hotel that he owned two-thirds of the stock in the bank of which he is president. He had made his money all because he served. He planted what people wanted. He did what people wanted done. 